This is the Beaver Tales Podcast. Hi again, everybody. I'm Josh Warden. I chat every week, or a couple times a week, actually, with former Oregon State student-athletes about their playing career at Oregon State, their highlights at OSU, what they've done since leaving Corvallis or staying in Corvallis, and the life lessons they've learned. And my guest today, Erica Nassar, is someone who both did leave Oregon State, but she then came back to Corvallis and has recently been promoted as an assistant coach on the OSU volleyball team. She was a graduate assistant coach, and now she's just got the title assistant coach so she's working under head coach mark barnard who was in the program when she was a player from 2011 to 2014 in fact erica nassar was one of the principal main players on a on the couple of those teams that really developed in a program that by the end her team you know had one of the most successful seasons really the most successful season ever in oregon state volleyball history the team had never won an ncaa tournament match ever and her senior year the program won two matches in fact making the regional semifinals in the 2014 ncaa tournament she went on to play professionally in finland and sweden ended up coming back to southern california where she's originally from where she coached at ucla for a season then came back to oregon state for the last couple of years she made some you know pac-12 all academic teams and she was a chemistry major and so a very cerebral player very intelligent and she's to her father's chagrin, not going the chemistry route and kind of the medical profession as she was originally intending to do. But uh, ultimately, she's got a passion for coaching. I think she'll be successful in whatever she does. And I think you'll have a similar feeling after listening to Erica. I did ask her off the air before if she was comfortable. Do you do you want to talk about anything along the lines of the protests on racial equality or your experience being an African-American athlete in Corvallis or in Europe? But I said, it, only if you want to. It, we don't have to. It's just if you want to share anything in particular, no worries. And she said, oh, we can. We we, we don't have to. It, it, whatever, totally up to you. I'm good either way. So I said, okay, sure. You know, Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. We'll just kind of see how it goes. And then it ended up basically being the first thing we talked about. It just kind of naturally came up. It was a really good conversation. I hope to to have more conversations like this where you know, I just want to listen more than I talk myself and just hear people's perspective. And and hopefully you can also gather something meaningful from what Erica has to say and and hear what you know her experience was like in Corvallis. I don't know what it's like to be a student athlete or an African-American in Corvallis. And so it's valuable, at least for me and and hopefully for you, regardless of what your background is just to hear what someone else's story is. So here is Erica Nassar here on the Beaver Tales podcast. Last thing I'll say is I use this podcast to mention some nonprofits. I won't give you a whole spiel, but if you do have any financial wherewithal or just the time to check out Convoy of Hope, they're one of the pro- one of the charities that I talk about in this podcast. They do a lot of great work here in America. So in lieu of advertisers or gaining money myself up this podcast, I just like to mention some charities and I'll put their website in the show description. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Hope you enjoy getting to know Erica Nassar. And don't forget to let someone know if you're listening to this podcast, and if you enjoy it, text a friend, email a friend, send a fax to a friend, whatever it has to be. All right, here is Erica on the Beaver Tales podcast, everybody. Well, thanks for joining me on the Beaver Tales podcast. Congratulations on sort of a new job slash promotion, but uh, either way, it's a big deal. So congratulations on that, Erica. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's going to be so weird going from like athlete to grad assistant now. Just like it's like I'm going up the ladder. It's crazy. But yeah, 
and soon you'll be knocking on Mark Barnard's door and becoming co-head coach. No, I'm, I'm just Not kidding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just don't tell him yet. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but that must be, I mean, you, you were playing, I said Mark was an assistant, if I'm not mistaken, when you were playing, so you're familiar with him and, and the program. How big of a deal was that for you to, to have the trust from him to bring you on as a, a full-time, essentially, you know, a real assistant coach, and that's your role? How big of a deal was that for you? Um, it was actually a huge deal for me because I definitely think my maturity from, you know, college to now has definitely grown. <laughs> um, Mark says it all the time. Uh, I'm definitely a different person. I think going overseas and experiencing new life and then going down to UCLA and starting there with my coaching career and coming up here, um, I definitely think that time in my life it built his trust in me as a coach and kind of to bring me on as a full-time position so I'm very blessed and thankful that he did yeah it take me into that a little bit of of the maturity I mean not that any 18 year old as you were when you came to Oregon State would be the same it's good that you're a different person at least to some degree but imagine if you had become an Oregon State assistant coach when you were the age of a true freshman not that that's possible for anyone but just imagine that you were still that person what would you have been lacking in then that you have now like how did you mature in that way wow um that is a great question i would say patience for mm -hmm. sure that is something that i've definitely learned throughout um and just being a people person and being relatable to other people, I think I've definitely learned to do that in my time from being a freshman till now. I mean, like you said, I'm from Southern California. So where I'm from, like it's very diverse. There's a lot of people who look like me and people who look like you. So coming up here and then having people that just look like you, I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it's kind of a different deal. But um, like we stated before, like, um, I am, I love all people, you know, and I'm okay with all people. I don't care who you are. I will not judge you. Um, so I think that time has definitely, that time was definitely used for that maturity, but yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. There's a lot I could say about myself that has changed, <laughs> but, um, we're not going to get into the semantics. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying that because it is, you know, something that I, if I've realized anything of the last few weeks, it's that if you had asked me, you know, do you know what it's like to be a, a student athlete in Corvallis or to, to be an African American in Corvallis, I would have said no. But I've realized the last few weeks, oh, I, I really don't know. Like, it's a no, no, like more than I would have known. And you don't, I mean, however much you want to share or, or whatever that experience has been like. But to, to come to Corvallis, like you said, where you're in Southern California, Menifee technically, but I mean, Southern, when you're in one part of Southern California, there's a lot of, you're part of the broader culture and it is more diverse than Corvallis where it's around 1%, you know, African-American. And, and so it's, it's definitely different than SoCal. And so for you to come here and then for you to stay, not consistently through the decade, but for you to put roots down here to, to get a job here, it does say something about your desire to, to be a part of the community, not that 
uh, it's a perfect place or there could be changes to it, but there's something about Corvallis that you like, or at least could see change in, I suppose. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't know yeah. what that looks like for the future, but there's something about Corvallis that stuck with you, huh? Mm -hmm. I, I love Corvallis. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I'm pretty, I don't know if many people know this, but you know, Oregon was one of the last states in history to allow African-Americans to even reside here. So um, I think me being here, I, you know, I'm a Christian, so I think it's definitely a God-driven decision. Um, I think this is where I'm meant to be. And I think I'm here for that exact reason, like you said, like to bring more African-Americans here, to experience something else. You know, when a Black person sees that there are other Black people around, they're going to be more likely to come around, you know what I'm saying? So I think that's also a part of my role, but I think it's just so that people can see like, yes, there aren't very many African-Americans that live in Corvallis, Oregon, but we can broaden our population. We can make Corvallis a more diverse population, but it's going to take time and it'll be steps. But I think all of this stuff that's going on now, it'll definitely... I think it's going to be on the ride. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I hope that's the case. And it's at the same time, it can also, I'm sure, feel like a, a burden because for anyone to take that role to say, look, I know there's not many people who look like me in this city, but perhaps if more people like me move there and stay there, perhaps that'll help the trajectory in that way. But that also puts a lot of pressure on you to be the the one of the pioneers, one of the first ones, and not that it's your role to like set the standard or or be a representative. In fact, hopefully that's the opposite of the case. But I, I don't know if that's felt difficult or pressure uh, like that because not that I wouldn't hope that it would, but just by the nature of the numbers, sometimes it could. Perhaps I don't know. I don't know your experience. What do you think? For sure. Um... I myself, I mean, like you said, like I went to school, Oregon State, um, I left and came back. I look up to my black elders that are around the campus. Um, Dr. Plaza, Coach Eli, Miss Marilyn Stewart, Miss Erlene, and a lot of these people that I can talk to about these situations or kind of how things like this go. So they brought me here and they helped me stay. So I think it's just me learning from them to do the exact same thing um, and just make them make African-Americans and make black people, make people of color period feel comfortable coming to places like this and knowing that even though you are in this predominantly white place, there's no reason that you can't exist. There's no reason that you can't be happy. There's no reason that you can't live here and grow here. So I think just sharing my experience, now that you say like it's, it's a lot of pressure, I, I, honestly don't feel that pressure just because it's basically just me giving my testimony mm. you know like you know how that is you just you just give your testimony and that 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 alone can help change someone's thought about coming to Corvallis in my opinion yeah I like that and that's that's the power of a personal story and the power of just sharing your perspective because at the end of the day it's not always an essay or uh, you know, a five-part argument that's going to change someone's mind or get them to realize where you're coming from. It's just, look, this is what I've experienced and this is where I've been from. And that's one of the reasons that I, you know, try to use this podcast to talk to people from a variety of backgrounds. I mean, I had Jabril Johnson, who's a football player, gosh, your same year, actually. Mm -hmm. And he's a, a cop up in Portland and he was 
sharing a story of how he pulled over an African-American woman at one point in Portland and she started crying almost out of like relief of like, I don't even care if you give me a ticket. I'm just glad that a black man is the one that pulled me over. And I was like, gosh, I, that is so, I mean, not an experience that I personally can understand, but I can understand that I don't understand it. And I can appreciate the necessity of people like Jabrell being in Portland or you being in Corvallis and the Eric Eli's of the world. I mean, what a guy like Eric Eli and the women's basketball program. Um, just fantastic. Uh, so now for you to be a coach, you now you're the, the next Eric Eli, not not that you have to be him, but that sort of thing. So um, that'll be, I don't know, quite the experience, however long you stay in Corvallis or wherever else you coach. And you've coached a couple places. I mean, UCLA, at least for a little bit. So now how do you, in, in your terms of what you'd like to do as a coach, and now you're in the Oregon State volleyball program, uh, what some things, like some goals maybe, or, or how you're ho- coaching up the girls, partly just in volleyball and it's the technical skills. It's just sports to a certain degree, but what's a, a goal you might have and what you hope to bring to the OSU volleyball program? Um, funny. So when I was at UCLA, one of the coaches, um, Caitlin Nelson, I had asked, I was asking her a bunch of questions. I was like, like, what do you look for? Like when you go out and you recruit, she was like, honestly, I said, yeah. She was like, I look for girls that play like me. I was like, huh, that's, that's interesting. And you know, she was what, like a three-time All-American player for the, like, the USA team. So I had good success at Oregon State, don't get me wrong. Um, I didn't go to the Olympics, you know, but I played overseas professionally. But I want girls who can play volleyball, who have the passion for volleyball, and who want to be leaders. And my goal is to recruit girls like that, girls who want to be here, girls who want to work hard every day, girls who want to come in and put extra time in, and girls who want to be leaders. I'm not saying you have to come in and be this change. It's not what I'm saying. But I want you to work towards being a leader. I want you to graduate. I want you to get a degree. I want you to know what your next step in life is. And so I think my biggest goal is to find goal-oriented girls. (laughs) So I think that's where... That's, that's the change that I want. And I want people to have, I want girls to have heart and passion for the game because, you know, sometimes girls get to college or athletes get to college and they lose that passion because of this thing and that thing and all the distractions around them. So that's a part of them that, yes, we can help manage that, but ultimately, like, it's going to be your decision. So that's more of the change that I'm, I'm looking for. Mm. Yeah, it's it's fun to hear especially with coaches, because it is natural and easy to want players like yourself and, and to more easily know how to coach them. That's one of the main things I've heard from baseball players talking about Pat Casey and his own son, Joe, said, you know, from the beginning, he was really good at coaching people like him, the players who, were, who had similar personalities to him. The thing he had to grow in was how do I coach the players that still care, but maybe just don't have the same personality they're not as spunky fiery like maybe they're a little more quiet um, but they still care it's not that they're lazy uh, but different personalities so how, how would you approach that and I'm sure this is something you'll grow in you're still a young coach but what about the players who maybe aren't like you but still could have their own potential I don't know if you have ex- much experience in that sort of thing yet but how would you approach something like that um well I was a big sport athlete growing up, so I've experienced many different types of personalities. You know, I've had a bunch of experience. Um, I am, I would say I've been coaching 
all my career, <laughs> just because I like to help people, you know, and I'm very relatable. I'm a very big people person. I feel like I'm very good at talking to people and I'm very good at knowing someone's personality and being able to approach them, whether that be on the court or off the court, you know? So I myself think my personality period is going to be my key to being able to relate to other people. And I do understand, you know, I myself, I was a fiery, you know, loud, I love to celebrate, but my senior year when we had Mary Kate Marshall come in, this freshman who was like little Bo Peep and didn't talk, I'm like, okay, it's fine. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to help you out. I don't care, but like we have the same goal. As long as we have the same goal and we're trying to get there, I don't care what way you have to take. As long as we have the same goal and we're trying to work hard to get there, we're going to be able to relate on, on some type of behalf or some type of deal in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of kind of your, your time when you were a player at Oregon State, and we'll kind of work back to what you did post Oregon State and coming back through coaching. But when you first committed to OSU coming out of Southern California, Oregon State went nine and 23 that season, like your senior year of high school, basically. And there were several losing seasons in a row as you were coming through uh, your high school career. But you still committed to Oregon State, and by the time you were done at OSU, your senior year in 2014, Oregon State made the regional semifinals of the NCAA tournament, won the first game ever that Oregon State has won in program history, in fact, two games in that tournament. So how, how satisfying was that and any lessons you learned along the way of probably the most successful season in Oregon State volleyball history? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to lie, when I committed to, well, okay, when I first got my first call from Terry Laskiewicz, I had no idea, one, where Oregon was, so I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> from Southern California, I had no idea, and um, let alone Corvallis, Oregon, so um, <laughs> that was also, I, I would have to say, a um, God-driven decision, <laughs> um, but coming here and kind of doing all that, like I said, I had three other seniors who helped me along the way. It was not just something that I did by myself. I think we as leaders definitely had, like I said, had a goal and everyone else just followed. So that's where I think I saw myself grow in which I also want to see my athletes grow. You can come in, you don't have to be this all-time great person, but I want you to grow. I want you to be a leader. I want you to lead this team to something like another Sweet 16 or Elite Eight, you know? But if you don't have that leadership, you're just going to be stable. <laughs> so I'm not going to say, I don't, I don't know what happened years before, because I've met many of the girls who played here before I did. Brittany was a, um, a volunteer assistant coach last year, and we were the best of friends, you know? But that's something that she also talked about, like they lack leadership. So I just think that's going to be a big goal for the Oregon State Volleyball Program, period, is just that leadership and being able to lead this team into another successful season. Mm. There's one other note about your high school career that I just had to ask about because it was so funny to read. When you were, you went to, is it Temescal Canyon, if that's, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, and you hold the school record, or at least you did when you finished, in blocks and aces on the volleyball team. But in basketball, you hold the record for points per game, 22.3, and rebounds in a single game, 27 boards. That's quite the, the Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell performance <laughs> basketball-wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, <laughs> I 
was a beast in high school. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I came to Oregon State and I started off playing actually both sports, but I, I got burnt out, you know, after my first year being chemistry, you know, playing volleyball and basketball. So I had to choose and I felt like I would have been more successful at volleyball um, than basketball. I also think a lot of my like I said, my, this was also part of my growth. <laughs> Me as a basketball player, I don't think that um, I would have grown as much as I would being a volleyball player. So that was a dis- hard decision that I had to make. But yeah, I, I miss it a lot. I still play here and there. You know, I don't not play. But uh, that's why I love Coach Eli. I was my I was a man. That was yeah. Pretty close. Cool <laughs> yeah, he's my coach back in the day. So yeah. <laughs> I, so let's see here. If you came in 2011, I just had Alyssa Martin on the podcast mm-hmm. recently, and she yeah. was the first four years. I think she might be a year older than you, if that's yeah, right. Yep. Okay. Alyssa so Martin, Katie Schrock, Allie Gibson. Um, I had Patricia Bike, uh, Alicia Marshbanks, Kiki. Yeah. Shakiana Edwards Teasley. Yeah. <laughs> I remember talking to Shakiana years back too for a, a different interview. But so did you stick it out for? Just one, that would have been, I think, the second year of the Scott Ruick era. Were you just there for basically one season, yeah. or how long did it take before you were like, I got to quit? It was just a season. It was hard. It was hard. And then, you know, I did, so volleyball, you go August to sometime in December, you know, so I'm already here early, and then you go to basketball, and you don't get to go home in December. So I was like, I was a freshman. I was getting homesick. You know, I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> so... It was a lot. I, I think I wasn't ready or mentally prepared to to be a dual sport athlete in college. Now, obviously, everyone warned me when I came in, like, it's going to be really hard. I was like, no, I got it. I got this. There was a part of that maturity. I was like, no, I don't got this. <laughs> and I was a chemistry major. So, yeah, it, it was definitely a, you need to rethink your uh, decisions here, buddy. So I rethought. And there you go. Yeah. Gosh, the the two sport athletes I've talked to, like Hunter Jarman, who did football and, and baseball, that's a little more doable because it's fall, spring. Yeah. But to do basketball and volleyball, I mean, that, that seems impossible. It was. It was a back-to-back. And doing weights twice a day was not fun at all. So I had to, yeah, it was, it was hard. So that's where that had to come to an end really quick. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned studying chemistry, which is its own, its own sport, basically, in terms of the time commitment and the rigor of that. So when you were studying that, and I don't know if you, maybe you didn't have coaching in mind then to do chemistry, but what was your kind of plan with chemistry? And is there a chance that chemistry would, would come up in your future, either if you eventually get out of coaching or somehow use it? Do, I, I don't know how, but how did chemistry start and where does that fit in in your future? Um, so I actually majored in chemistry with an option in pre-med and education. So I, my plan when I first got to school was to go to med school, which is probably like everyone's plan, you know, <laughs> but um, my mom works in the medical field and a lot of what she does, I showed interest in, but just a little bit deeper. So I wanted to go to PA school and do the whole shebang. But then as life went on, I was like, I'm a big people person and I love sports. I was like, I can't, I I can't. I stuck it out. You know, I got the degree. I graduated with it. But when I started in school, I started talking to my parents. I was like, I I, I love chemistry. Don't get me wrong. It comes easy to me. I understand it. I love being in the labs and whatnot. But I just, I have this passion for something else. And I'm just so blessed and grateful that they understood 
Um, so, cause they are very big influencers in my life and I listen to them and I take their opinions into consideration all the time. So I think when my dad found out that I was giving up the chemistry track, he was like a little questionable, but I think now that he has seen what the volleyball world has bought me and my experience in going overseas and traveling Europe, I think, uh, they're a lot happier. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, if anything, proves the fact that you went out from just the the med school track and all that is that if you took a volunteer assistant job at UCLA the only people who do that are the people who really want to do that (laughs) (laughs) exactly I I, I joke about it with Mark all the time because he has a um, degree in physics so I'm like Mark like why like you went from I hated physics worst class I've ever taken in college I was like you went from this horrible class like you just moved up and moved to America I was like I'm gonna be a volleyball coach like okay <laughs> so no yeah yeah so you take that job at UCLA to come to Oregon State how much did your experience going overseas you play you finish out at Oregon State you go to Finland and Sweden I believe were the two countries so that's its own <laughs> cultural culture and and I'm sure you learned a lot and tell me about what that was like of playing pro volleyball and and from what I know about like pro basketball players for example all the OSU players who have gone overseas is that the sport takes up only a portion of your life and then you got the rest of the day to spend you know just there and whether you have friends or not you're just chilling in Finland or whatever it is so what was your experience on and off the court playing a couple seasons of pro volleyball over there um I loved it, you know. Granted, I was in Northern Europe, so it was a lot of snow. (laughs) (laughs) So that was also another weather change that I had to go through moving over there. But I met some really great people, definitely lifelong friends that I still communicate with over there. Um, The competition was great. A lot of the girls that I played in with both leagues were, some of them even played in the Pac-12. So I was like, oh, hey, like, we're still playing against each other. (laughs) But, um, my experience was wonderful. I got to travel a lot in Europe, so that was super nice. Uh, my dad is originally from Accra, Ghana, in Africa. So he used to travel in Europe all the time growing up. So he was just happy that I also got to that. So that was nice. Um, I won a championship. So mm-hmm. that was also a big, <laughs> a big um, success, nice success to have over there. But it was also a cultural shock. Um, There were not very many people of color, but they were so nice and so friendly and so welcoming. And I I miss it a lot. One thing I do miss is the kebab. Mm. Some good stuff. The food, the food was good. People might not think so, but the food was was great. (laughs) (laughs) When did you first realize, not that you went over there thinking it'd be exactly like America or Southern California, but at at what point did you realize, oh, wait, this is Northern Europe and this is not the same culture as back home? As soon as I stepped off the plane, and I think it was September and it was snowing. <laughs> That's when I realized, like, well, no longer, not not in Oregon or California anymore. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, here we go. Nine, well, not even nine, like it was a good 10 months out of the year. It was snowing in Finland. Finland, I was in Northern Finland. I was literally on the Arctic Circle. So I got the Northern Lights like every night which was nice you know everyone talks about the northern lights but it was dark all the time and it snowed in our yeah 
and I had to learn how to drive a stick shift. So that was mm. also a very interesting experience because automatic cars do not exist in Europe. <laughs> so that was, that was great. Yeah. So to, to travel and to see a different culture, to, to see a different people group, to, to learn a lot of things, I'm sure. I, I wonder if that connected you or helped you bond even more with your dad. You said he was from Ghana. Is that right? Yep. So how much did he and you have conversations of whether you've been to similar places, just travel in general? How did those conversations go with you able to, to talk with your dad about that? Oh, he loved it. He tried his best to like learn every type of language that he could. So he would like call me and try and like speak in the language. I'm like, stop, like, you're not <laughs> <laughs> just, you just, you just stop. So uh, it was great though. He like recommended places to go visit and things to do and, people to see because he knew people and I um, actually have family in London. So um, I got to go visit them. So he just, he, he was helpful to make sure you go here, but stay away from here. So, <laughs> so that was nice, but he loves that. I like to travel and we uh, actually want to, when he retires, he should be retiring in a couple of years. He wants to go to Ghana and kind of do the same thing and go back up and kind of take visits up at, some of the older countries that he used to visit to a lot. So I'm excited for that. Has volleyball developed at all? I mean, I know like I've been, I lived in the Philippines for a little bit and volleyball actually is fairly big over there. Uh, Caitlin Driscoll played there. It, are there any pro volleyball leagues anywhere in Africa or Ghana? Would you ever be able to play there or coach there or anything or maybe establish it? Yeah. So no, there are not. Volleyball is like very unknown in Ghana. Ghana is very big on soccer. It's like the, the biggest sport my dad actually wants me to do that so he wants he I told him I said if you want to save up money and make a volleyball fund for Erica to build like a club or something in Ghana I will gladly do that but I I don't have the money for it <laughs> so but he he um we actually had multiple conversation about that and I think that there are many athletes in countries such as Ghana uh where like you could honestly go somewhere and establish a different life and kind of do it like uh, have different experiences my cousin actually moved and um, to America and we went to high school together and she's from Accra Ghana uh, and she had the experience of a lifetime so uh, I would love to do that for sure it's just a matter of funding to get there so but, you know, maybe I'll talk to Mark and see if we can start something. We start something in the Netherlands, so I mean, might as well just move down south. So Yeah, start an Oregon State volleyball camp in Ghana. I know, that'd be amazing, right? Who knows? <laughs> what, what was the reason that the family, or your dad in particular, uh, it sounded like he traveled, so maybe it was just the case of his, do his job, but uh, what was the reason he ended up? uh you know coming to southern california wherever the the route went a to b and whatever went in between but why did he leave ghana um so my grandpa worked for the government when my dad was younger so they got to travel to different places he worked for an ambassador so um my dad got to travel and then he wanted the american dream like mm. he always jokes about this he's like um what is the movie called with eddie murphy coming to america he's okay, yeah. eddie murphy and coming to america um <laughs> uh he moved to actually pittsburgh pennsylvania which is where i was born and raised hmm. uh, met my mom and then he was like 
I want to move to Southern California. Like everyone wants to live in Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. So then we moved to Southern California and that's how we ended up there. <laughs> wow. How long did you spend in Pittsburgh? Uh, I was there until I was, I think about like seven, not too many years. Okay. Um, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah. But my parent, my mom was born and raised in Pittsburgh. Most of my family on my mom's side is in Pittsburgh, and most of my dad's family is still in Ghana. So, well, so yeah. if your dad was born in Ghana, your mom born and raised in Pittsburgh, how different are your parents? Whew, very, <laughs> <laughs> very different. Um, <laughs> my dad, um, I don't know if you've ever been. You've probably never been to Africa or Ghana or West Africa. I wish, but no, not yet. <laughs> Um, they're very disciplined. He is very disciplined. So, um, growing up, it was always so weird because I was like, my mom likes clean, but my dad, when he moved out of the house, you know, when boys move out of the house, like, well, I want to be dirty, but my mom disciplined my dad. So I'm like, okay, I hope he doesn't listen to this. He'd be like, no, she didn't. (laughs) But, um, no, yeah, but they're great. He definitely has learned the American way. He no longer has his accent unless we go to Ghana, then it like comes out of nowhere. But mm. he's definitely been Americanized, I would say that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fascinating. I'm sure that that helped for you to grow up with influences mm-hmm. of all around, not just Americanized, like you know, having no conception of what it's like to be in Europe or Africa or Asia, and then to be able to go overseas and, and then to maybe that helped a little bit just to, to kind of a broader, I mean, it was kind of a, a culture shock for me to go to the Philippines, having never been mm-hmm. to, well, my parents did live in Asia for a little bit. So I had some conception, but it, it is a culture shock where there's just the snow or something bigger yeah. than that. It's yeah. new, right? And I'm sure that helped a little bit. But um, let's kind of come back and kind of wrap up with kind of what you're doing now with coaching and kind of, you know, come full circle to that since that's where we started. Um, with your your role now as a, as a coach and where you started as a player, and I know this is almost maybe too broad to put everything in, in one question, but I kind of like to finish with kind of like what advice you would give yourself from when you were first a freshman in your case coming in in 2011 and and of all the things that you've matured in the ways you've changed become a better volleyball player coach person the experiences you've had there are probably too many things to list off so maybe you have to, to pick out one but what's something that maybe you've appreciated that you've learned grown in and, and would like to share to others or, or yourself if you could have known it you know nine ten years ago um if I'm thinking of myself I would say you don't know it all (laughs) and you need to learn to trust and also be a follower of the people around you. I think coming in, like I said, like I, many of the girls before me, like they knew the Oregon state coaches coming in and I committed to Oregon state, my senior year of high school, you know? So that relationship was built off of maybe six months, you know, and I was supposed to come in here and trust these people who just recruited me. Like, I I don't know you. I don't know who you are as a coach, you know? And I think that kind of helped me back coming in uh, to the program. But I would also say just be patient with yourself. Um, 
trust your coaches, be with your team, build that bond. I know the women's basketball team preaches this, this family factor. It is very important. Uh, I think trust in any type of relationship is important. So I think building on that would have been a lot better. What else would I tell myself? No, I think, I, I think mature faster, <laughs> be better. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think that I wasn't, I wasn't perfect. No, but I do think a big factor of mine was just trusting those people around me to know that they weren't out to get me. They were actually there to help me. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. I would say, so I'm hoping that girls can come and interest me. <laughs> yeah and do the same. One of my favorite lines from a musical artist I listen to, Andy Minio, says, when I was young, I was dumb. Now I'm older, still dumb. Just now I know it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's very relevant and very true because, yeah. you know, I, I don't know everything. And I think now that I am in the position that I am now, you know, like I said, like Mark was my coach. So I'm like, dang, like, you used to do that to me. And I try and tell the girls, like, I used to be just like you. I understand what you're going through, but I'm going to tell you, you need to stop, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's also something that me and Mark, I think that's that relationship is good because I've experienced him as a coach and now I'm a colleague. So uh, I think that relationship of taking it off to the court is definitely going to be a um, benefit to us in the future. So, but yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. There's there's a lot that you, you've learned and still on that process. And I, I, it's a perfect time to be coaching. I'm sure you'll bring a lot of, of um, you know, great perspective to the Oregon State volleyball team. And Mark Barnard is doing a good job. It's always fun to connect with him or the players that um, have done a great job there. So thanks so much for talking with me on the podcast. And i uh, looking forward to getting uh, this one uploaded later this week. So thanks for talking with me, Erica. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Well, I don't know about you, but I really liked talking with Erica. She's just a very affable, genial person to chat with and to hear her perspective and to get, honestly, one of the angles I want to take lately on the podcast. I've gotten a lot of coaches on recently, the Pat Bailey's of the world, the Pat Casey's, Rushy Wortham, Bill Rao, and there may be more to come. But I also want to get people who have traveled a bit, who have seen perspectives from different countries. And Erica's the perfect kind of balance between the two because she's a coach and she's traveled overseas. Her father from the capital of Ghana. She's been to Finland and Sweden. And I'll have some more guests as well who have traveled around. Uh, Sammy Harrison, who currently lives in Germany. She was an OSU swimmer. Uh, Daniel Gomez, who originally grew up in Senegal. So hopefully these guests will kind of bring a broader perspective. And regardless of what topics we discuss... I think they'll have something new and fresh to bring to the table because I think we get so situated with everyone around us and we just hear perspectives from people who grew up in similar situations. It's good to talk with people, you know, from other parts of the country and, you know, beyond our our borders, at least. So it's good to, to talk with people who have either, you know, were born overseas, who have gone and traveled overseas and whatever it may be. So really fun to talk with Erica. I hope you found that conversation meaningful. And hope you enjoy listening to future conversations with student-athletes from a variety of sports, backgrounds, eras. And uh, always feel free to recommend somebody or give me feedback. Uh, My email is warden.josh at gmail.com. Warden with an O in the middle. W-O-R-D-E-N dot J-O-S-H. 
at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at Bright Ties. That's the word bright, the word ties, at Bright Ties. All right, thanks for listening, everybody, to the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. Good night and go Beavs.